about that thing so beautiful. Dana. She just hit my heart, oh. Dana. Full force and she got me like. Dana. I be like. Dana. Baby. Dana. Why you so fine? Masterpiece is T-A-D-O-W. Just type that into YouTube. The artist is F-K-J and uh, the singer is Masego. Check it on YouTube. You'll see it. So everything in this episode 176 is fair use and Creative Commons license. You are listening to the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. You must unlearn everything that you've learned up to this point. Unlearn all the fear attachment, ego, and living for sense and desires gratification in order to then learn to walk the ascended path to immortality and realization of the true self. So earlier today when I sat down to record this episode 176, I probably went through six or seven different topics that I wanted to address. And 
I noticed a common denominator between all of those six or seven topics I wanted to address all boiled down to pretty much one thing. And that one thing was brainwashing, mental conditioning, the hamster wheel, and people just being in a position where their choices are being made for them. Their thinking is being made for them, and they're just all being herded into this little funnel of the, of the proverbial hamster wheel slash the farm where they would proceed as cattle and just have the matrix system run them into the ground, run them into death where to the point where they're not living a natural life and they're not living at all. They're just basically being subjected to taking the position of a, a power source for this system. So when I dug or perceived down a few more layers, I basically came up with the name Edward Bernays, who's the father of modern-day propaganda and public relations. Edward Bernays is also the nephew of Sigmund Freud, who we all know is, you know, that, uh, you know, psychologist that everything relates back to sex and whatever whatever weirdness he was into but you know it 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 all came back to that uh edward bernays and i started searching for a couple of quotes and i uh this is basically what i came up with which was a direct quote from edward bernays like i said who's the father father of modern day propaganda slash public relations and and listening to those two titles propaganda and public relations um Again, that's something you can't just look at those two titles. And you've really got to go layers, layers deep into that because those is really, this is exactly what's taking place today. Uh, as far as, you know, like I said, the decisions being made for us and this prison planet that is being formed and, and we're being herded into. So I'm going to read this quote real quick. We must train humans to forget about using their ancestral collective consciousness in order to control the population. In this way, we can redirect them away from thinking to benefit their tribe and their family and start thinking more and more about individual and personal pursuits. That way, the human brain can become less human over decades and seemingly conscious thought. We can make humans into mechanical beings. We can train them like rats to believe anything we want them to believe if that's what we want to do. We can separate them from each other and their families, turning a natural social animal into a selfish animal. Why do this? To create the perfect consumer. They will not think about the sufferings of others. They won't even question the problems of society. They will simply concern themselves with manufactured desires, status, wealth, and spectacle. In this way, we can train the masses to enslave themselves, and to be grateful to be under our control. As I always state in uh, my uh, podcast that you have to pay very, very close attention and understand that the number one tool that they have is the ability to redirect your attention from what's important, like your family, your career, your friends, and your tribe, and you know, taking the steps that you need to improve your life to, to, to pull your attention away from that and place your attention on the, what, what they want you to pay attention to. 
So, again, you have to pay very, very close attention to what's transpiring and what's going on. Now, Edward Bernays was very active in the early, I guess, 1950s. And he he's written a couple of books, but we're, we're going to kind of bypass all of that and just get to the meat and potatoes of it. And in essence, what's happening right now is a res direct result of his writings and of his social engineering, I guess you would call it, whereby people right now, their, their biggest concern is to get that iPhone 13 or 14. And I go over this over and over again with the sneakers, you know, model number HYZ, Nike, so-and-so, where you have these sneaker heads. You'll have actually a dude... You know, pay a thousand dollars for a smelly, worn Jordan One, Air Force Ones, or whatever, and uh, you know, be glad that he was able to get it for a thousand dollars when they're, they're absolutely useless. But again, this is this is the consumerism. This is the Edward Bernays, you know, uh, type of training and and, and uh, mind control. Because what's happening right now, as a result of these writings and these teachings of Edward Bernays, because it directly links right back to him. Yes, before Bernays, it was, um, you know, the world was kind of screwed up and, you know, we were being controlled by the uh, ruling classes, by that 1%. But in those times, if you go back to the 30s and the 40s, you would see people really working hard. You would see the family going together to the church, worshiping together, loving one another, and... Pretty much for the most part, you know, it was pretty pretty much a, maybe they didn't have money, but they were living a life of um, family-oriented, um, you know, family-oriented activities and just people, people were not as dumb. You know, they kind of were aware of what was going on. So you wouldn't have a guy going out and spending his whole paycheck on some meaningless thing to oppress people that don't even really care about him. People that are wishing for his demise, you know, his own friends. Because as I quoted in that Bernays, in that last quote, Bernays was talking about how we're going to separate people from one another and put their attention on consuming, right? And that's the big thing because they want our money and the only way they can get our money is for us to consume. But in addition to taking our money, they want to separate us from one another. And the reason for that is... If you have a, a, let's say a brother or a cousin and he's conscious and he's awake and he knows the dilly, he knows the deal of what's going on and he sees you wasting your money and squandering on so many different things that, that are taking place today. You know, you see people on TV with their Jaguars and, you know, let's make a billion dollars in a day and this is who I am and I'm traveling and, you know, look at my life when really they're living in squalor in their mom's basement and they're, you know, they're, you know day trading but they're really full of shit. But if you had... One person that was like on top of it, that was in your circle, they would say, dude, you know, pay attention to what you're doing. Don't you understand that it's going down like this and it's going down like that? You know, you're being deceived and, and you're being mind controlled. But these writings, um, and it's not just Edward Bernays, but he's like the focal point and he's like the granddaddy of what this is, of this movement. Because basically one of the other th proponents of Edward Bernays was that um, in conjunction with, you know, the other ruling classes was that they looked down like the, the, the IRS and the taxpaying uh, government or the government looking to collect taxes from people says, you know what, we're missing out on half the population because, um, you know, we're missing out on women because women are staying home, taking care of their children. And 
we're missing out on that revenue. So they put it in a way where the cost of living got so high, the, the woman had to start working. And it started very subtly. What they ended up doing was they said that women need to have rights, women need to vote. And I agree with all of that. But the saying actually start um, smoking cigarettes. So they did some kind of parade or whatever, and they had women out there smoking cigarettes and saying, you know, we need to vote and all that stuff like that. Again, which is all cool, but it was very subtle. And, and very shortly after that, women started getting into the workforce and and um, the children were being raised by the school system. And that's when the problems really started. We're, we're right now, you know, most uh, inner city people, black, white, Asian what have you, man? Just Hispanic, everything. They, they, you know, it's a to a large degree, it's a one parent household, and usually that parent is the mom. So, and for those of you that have ears to listen and understand, you know exactly what I'm saying. So, my point is this: you need to understand that you're in a position where your decisions are being made for you, and the way they do this is very subtle. They'll get, you know. Um, that, that a basketball player Harding or LeBron James or different types of celebrities that come out and they say to you, you know, I'm, you know, this is what I'm doing. I'm getting a vaccine. Uh, these are the steps that I'm taking. I'm getting a college degree and whatever, whatever the, the malarkey is. And they're getting you, um, to follow them and their choices. So functionally what they're doing is they're making your choices for you. Look at all of the, and I don't want to get on a downer, but look at all of the people over the past 20 years, you know, you have to get a college degree and you have to, you know, take all of these steps and, and ha have a liberal arts degree or whatever degree you want to get it in. Even doctors who have really, a, you know, very high degree, high level of education. And if you look at all the uh, young doctors right now as a result of their student loans and the insurance that they have to get and, and such, you're seeing now that they're really tremendously in debt right now. So... Who, who's winning, who's ahead, you know, you, you know. And then what they were noticing was that the people that were doing well are people that had their own businesses because, you know, they didn't have to pay for this college degree. And then a father would teach his son, okay, you know, I make pizza this way and this is how I make my living. I repair shoes, I fix bicycles, this is, what I, this is the business that I have. I have a restaurant and this is how I hook it up and this is how we do it. Teaching his son, he's teaching, you know, his, his legacy of this and and they come along with this lockdown and they just shut everything down and all of these these uh, businesses are out of business right now so you have everybody back to square one and uh, they're just destroying this whole country and just destroying the world because all of these um mandates are worldwide right now and as if you notice the only real um businesses that are open are the big businesses like amazon and your um you know, your national chain restaurants like, you know, your Pizza Hut and your McDonald's and Amazon's. And th these guys are flourishing. But the average working man is, is is being driven out of business right now. So, again, I don't want to make this a negative thing. But you just need to realize what's what's taking place and what's being put before you. And, and the dude that really perpetrated this from the beginning is Edward Bernays. So, it would kind of uh, make a lot of sense to go back and look at the origins of this and, and read some of these uh these different writings that he he put out there uh, back in the fifties, man, and it actually started before that. But but really, the um, the fulcrum point or the leverage point uh, for this system was with Edward Bernays that uh, put us put us in this position where we just became consumers. We 
gave up our ability to think for ourselves and make our own decisions and all of these decisions and thinking is being made for us and people don't even realize it you know you have you work very hard for your money why are you so desperate to just give it away you know this is a this is what we find ourselves today because you go online and and you just see people mindlessly you know going over their material possessions you know like Bob Marley said in one of them clips I put out there, the guy says, do you have a lot of money? And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, do you have a lot of possessions? And Bob Marley said, possessions make you rich. You know, I don't have that kind of richness. My richness is life. So, if you're not, again, if you're not paying close attention, all of this is pretty much going to go over your head. And, and as a matter of fact, if, if you're kind of not getting it, you probably really either shouldn't be listening to this podcast or you should go back to episode one and kind of grasp what's, what's taking place right now on this planet before you. Because a lot of people are asleep right now, man, you know? So, understand that this is not a game, man. It might be a game for you. And you might see a commercial. And the commercial's talking about how, um, you know, you need this kind of uh, oatmeal or whatever to boost your testosterone and all that stuff. It's all bullshit. Yes, of course, there's a lot of things with health and stuff like that. But... Most of the stuff that I see in front of me, again, as I get older and older, I, I just see the bullshit in it, you know? How, you know, you're going you're gonna to buy success in a bottle. How you're going to have instant health and you're going to fucking raise your IQ by 20 if you drink this uh, Wabobby juice or whatever. It's just bullshit, you know? Of course, you got to take care of yourself. you got to be healthy and drink a lot of water and meditate and breathe deeply. As you know, cancer cannot thrive in an oxygen-rich environment. So these are things that are obvious, but be very selective with the things that you believe and the way you spend your money. And, and, and are you making your own decisions or is somebody making your choices for you, all right? So it's it's something that's um that kind of weighs on me, you know, because it, it just kind of breaks my heart when I see what's taking place these days. You talk to some young people today. And, uh, you know, you start getting into the meat and potatoes. You start getting into some deep philosophy, into some deep life, family, tribal, real things that are going on. And people change the subject or they get that glazed look over their eyes because, you know, they can't wait to get on their Instagram and, you know, follow or comment on whatever. See how many likes they got on their last post. And they're just idiots because these are people that they'll never see in their lives and could care less. And probably half of those people are bots just monitoring what you do and the choices that you make. So they could sell more shit to you, you know, through those algorithms. As you notice, you know, if you're talking to your friend about a boat, you're going to get 15 uh, emails or whatever it is about boats. And a lot of times specifically about whatever boat you were discussing or whatever consumer item you were discussing. Wake up, man. Wake up. You don't get rich richness from material things. You get richness from the self, from that which is within you. So... The number one thing for me that provides gratification and fulfillment is knowledge. As I said, I'm a student of knowledge and I like to learn as much as I can about the real world, about history, about true history, because as they say, history is written by the victors. So you might, you know, I'm like a huge, huge fan of Hannibal, um, Hannibal, Hannibal Barker from Carthage, who, who were the nemesis of Rome, and they were running the world, really, the Mediterranean, but just before Rome was. So now, whenever you read anything about Carthage, you're going to read how they were sacrificing their children, 
and how they were demonic and all of these different t things like that. And I really don't believe that because, you know, the Romans, you know, they, they kind of uh, started running the show right after they defeated Carthage. And that's another thing, you know, Battle of Cannae, uh, 216 BC, there's, there's a lot of richness there. And I recommend you guys get into the history because you'll learn a lot of things. But as I said, history is written by the victors. You can get into World War One, World War Two, and the whole Russian Revolution, which is a whole different kind of thing that was funded by Wall Street. These are things that you need to get into. Go back into some of my older episodes and, and, and do some research on, on really what's taking place on this planet. Because like I said, it's not a good thing, man. They're mandating our lives. And what they're doing is they really want to commoditize us and put a barcode on our head so they can scan us, put us on a shelf, and, you know, just... just uh, basically end our, our, our free life and, and have us, like I said, as and I say it, and, and, and it's it's the truth. They want to have us as cattle in this uh, matrix system. So, you know, you might listen to these words and say, yeah, you know, I agree with that. But the, And then you go back to like Instagram. Or, and I hate to keep using social media, but people just, you know, they gravitate to just the simplest, lowest common, common denominator, lowest chakra kind of um, entertainment, you know, to gratify their senses to, you know, to just smoke weed and get high all day or whatever it is that they're doing. I have nothing against, you know, somebody doing that or having a few drinks or a couple of beers or whatever like that. But all of those things should be as a result or reward of you doing the hard work and taking care of your family and doing all of the things that you need to do and, and growing in knowledge. Also, not only historical knowledge, but growing in the knowledge of the Creator, who, who who my God is Jesus Christ. But whatever religion you are, follow that religion, man, and learn what it is. Because religion is like, um, I shouldn't use the word religion because the word religion means to bind or to control. But have that one-on-one -on -one connection with the Supreme, who, who whoever you have in your studies as being the Supreme. Okay, so it's, it's very, very important, man, because like I said, they want to separate us from one another and they want to break up the family, and the government wants you to look up to them as them being the family, as them being your parents. So it's kind of a lot to condense down and put in one podcast episode. But again, go back to some of my older episodes. Go to my IGTV. Look at some of the videos that I laid down on there in the IGTV that I, I put my heart and soul into, man. And it, it could save you 10 years of time as far as getting that ascended path and learning who you really are, you yourself. You know, learning about your chakras, learning about the creation of man. And there was a little clip that I uh, put in. I'm actually going to toss a little clip in here from one of my older episodes also that has a lot of food and a lot of meat to uh, to bring you around to the realization of, of truth. But... um one of the things that, that gets me is this Big Bang Theory. And uh, I'm going to insert a little clip from Terrence McKenna where he talks about this Big Bang Theory. And this is how stupid they think we are. They said that the whole universe, you know, Alpha Centauri, the moon, Mars, Earth, just everything, right? Uh, so what is that? Um, Siri and all that stuff, right? All of the universe was compressed and compact down to like a single atom, which randomly just exploded and created the whole universe, right? So we're supposed to believe that. And I believe there was a reason why they, and even Albert Einstein and all that stuff, I don't even believe half the things 
these so-called geniuses have because I, I honestly believe most of it is all bullshit because they just want to see how stupid they are so they can shovel illogical things down our throat so that we'll believe anything. So I believe the reason they talk about the Big Bang like that is so that they can take us down the path they want to take us so we can believe things that are illogical. So if you believe in the Big Bang, that's that's the first step taking you down stupid stupid lane or stupid street because you're going to you're going to accept that. I mean, the whole universe was compressed down to one atom and it exploded. And the way they support that is they say that the universe is still expanding right now. I mean, come on, let's go. Look at the DNA RNA double helix spiral which is the blueprint for all life, for, for all carbon-based organic life, right? This intelligence there, that's not random, you know, primordial soup where a lightning bolt struck and it hit a carbon atom and it spun and, you know, created, you know, organic carbon-based life. It's bullshit. It's all bullshit. And if you believe it, I'm sorry, but you know what? That's on you, man. You're probably living a life of suffering right now because, you, you know, you're on that material path. And, uh, yeah. Another thing, I, I may or may not put it in this episode, is something on the on the um, near-death experiences or the NDEs, the experiences that people have when they die, you know, which is kind of crazy. So I've been rambling on right now for about 27 minutes. I'm going to kind of pause it up right here, throw in a few clips. I really do want to thank you for listening. And, uh, yeah, let's just keep it moving. And, uh, you know, send me, you know, your emails at... Uh, Alpha Male Buddhist at gmail.com, my Instagram, which is Alpha Male Buddhist, my webpage, which is Alpha Male Buddhist.podbean.com. And that's uh that's pretty much man. Let's uh let's just you know support one another in this time and, and do some real critical research, spread the word of truth, spread the word of this podcast, and uh, let's continue with the episode. Every model of the universe has a hard swallow. What I mean by a hard swallow is a place where the argument cannot hide the fact that there's something slightly fishy about it. The hard swallow built into science is this business about the Big Bang. Now let's give this a little attention here. This is the notion that the universe, for no reason, sprang from nothing in a single instant. Well, now before we dissect this notion, uh, notice that this is the limit test for credulity. Whether you believe this or not, notice that it is not possible to conceive of something more unlikely or less likely to be believed. I mean, I defy anyone. It's just the limit case for unlikelihood that the universe would spring from nothing in a single instant for no reason. I mean, if you believe that, my family has a bridge across the Hudson River that will give you a lease option for $5. It makes no sense. It is, in fact, no different than saying, and God said, let there be light. And what the philosophers of science are saying is, give us one free miracle, and we will roll from that point forward. 
from the birth of time to the crack of doom. Just one free miracle. And then it will unravel according to natural law and these bizarre equations which nobody can understand but which are so holy in this enterprise. Well, I say then, if science gets one free miracle, then everybody gets one free miracle. And I perceive that it is true when you build these large-scale cosmogonic theories that you have to have a kind of an umbilical cord or, or a point to start from that is different from all other points in the system. So if we have to have a singularity in our modeling of, of what reality is, let's make it as modest and as non-unlikely a singularity as possible. The singularity that arises for no reason in absolutely empty space instantly is the least likely of all singularities. Doesn't it seem more likely, if we have to have a singularity, that it occurs in a domain with a rich history, with many causal streams feeding into the situation that nurtures the complexity. In other words, to put it simply, if you have to have a singularity, doesn't it make more sense to put it at the end of a cosmogonic process than at the beginning? And I think this is the great breakthrough of psychedelics and shamanism, that science got it absolutely wrong. The universe didn't begin in a singularity. Who knows how the universe began, or would even presume to judge, but the universe ends in a singularity. It has been growing more singular, more complex, more unique, more novel, every passing moment since it burst into existence. And if that's true, then we represent a kind of concrescence of universal intent. We're not mere spectators or a cosmic accident, or some sideshow, or the Greek chorus to the main event. The human experience is the main event. The coordination of perception, of hope, of dream, of vision that occurs inside the human heart-mind-body interface is the most uh, complex phenomenon in the universe. Now, even the physicalists will agree that the human neocortex represents the most densely ramified matter known to exist in, in the biological world. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that human society, human history, human art, human literature represent things for which there is no analog in the world of wasps, groundhogs, killer whales, and so forth and so on. Uh, in our species, complexity has turned inward upon itself. And in our species, time has accelerated. Time has left the gentle ebb and flow of gene transfer and adaptation that characterizes biological evolution. And instead, historical time is generated. And so I believe that science 
and its reluctance to deal with the psychedelic experience and the way in which science has used then law to suppress its rival in this case arises out of a profound discomfort on the part of science about this future state of complexification that is clearly the grail, the dwell point, the end point of the human historical process. This uh, uh, prison industrial complex for profit uh, for shares of stock that are traded on Wall Street. But, uh, you know, my people, we don't see that. We just see the end result. We see the hamster wheel that they have us running on, you know, for, for this illusionary gratification of our senses, man. You need to have a really good understanding of that because as complex as this whole blueprint mechanism, repressive system is, as complicated as it is, it's equally as simple to get out of it. Whenever you have mega complication, there's a lot of fluff and there's things in there that you can breeze by if you have the right perspective, all right? Break it down to its smallest components. The things that are going to help you, you keep. The things that are going to hurt you, you put out of your life. Look within and be very, very careful of what the screen is presenting to you. So now the third uh, tool that the system has, the control matrix system has for us, is what I call the farm. And again, the best way I can describe the farm is if you saw the movie The Matrix, it's those chambers where they had people in these incubators and, and this gel or whatever, and they would be plugged into this system where their essence and the energy was downloaded to power the system. Okay, you might have a guy that, and and it begins to touch on this Elon Musk neuroplant, neuro implants, where a person might not know karate, but they could get plugged into the matrix and they'll be a black belt like instantly. And what they're alluding to in this, they're actually, it's a, it's actually, they're actually giving us some truth there because this is the direction that they're going in. This Elon Musk. Uh, Neuralink, transhumanism, cryonics. I think Walt Disney started that where he froze his body 500 degrees below zero so that he could be thought out and, you know, have a, a new brain or new consciousness downloaded into him. But the thing that they're neglecting to see is you can't download consciousness because your consciousness is not yours. Your consciousness is the one. It's the consciousness that we all share together uh as humans as entities here and with the, the supreme god you know it's one consciousness so no one owns it and that's where the whole meat wagon comes in the meat wagon avatar because upon our death we decay back to the ground to the ashes and and our body's gone but our consciousness continues on so you can't you know, you can't download your consciousness into a new avatar or anything like that. That's why they're trying to avoid these these elites. They're trying to avoid the bad karma, the death and destruction, that death and destruction for profit that they put out there. So what they want to do is they want to try to avoid death, the death process. Uh, and they want to get down. They want to stay here on Earth and get downloaded into a new uh, a new body. Keep going like Rockefeller and all these guys. They, they've had like five or six five or six um, heart surgeries. Look at look at how old George, Sor look at him. He looks like a, 
a sack of potatoes, man. The guy, you know, and there's nothing wrong with being old, but I'm just saying, though, the guy, he, you know, he just doesn't want to let go. And there's a reason for that because he, deep down inside, he knows he's going to have to pay that karmic debt that he accumulated here on this planet. And again, the death and destruction and the wars for profit. They know that. And part of the reason they know that, this is going to be kind of weird, but when I say that we're all one, that includes them, okay? They're, they are actually like, let's say, Soros. He, he's my shadow. He's the dark side, okay? And a lot of people, they, oh, he's demonic. Yes, he is, but he's choosing to go down that path, right? When, when God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he, it was duality right there. You have the tree of eternal life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he, did, he only said to them, he goes, of all of the trees in this garden you could eat except for the tree that's in the midst of the garden. And that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So Adam and Eve chose to eat from that tree and the eyes were open and they saw good from evil. But understand one thing, the devil didn't create evil. He chose evil. Everything comes from God. And he puts it there because he doesn't want us like, and I repeat this all the time, but it's a very important point. He doesn't want little uh, robots to follow him. He wants you to choose to follow him. And that has a lot to do with you growing spiritually in this life and connecting with everything. Because looking, looking at George Soros and Bill Gates and these monsters, these war criminals, they, we are all of the same one divinity, of the same Again, they, they chose to stray away from that, and that's a choice that they made. But as a result of them being actually, even though there are shadow, there are dark shadow, innately within themselves, they know that they're wrong, and they know they're going to have to face those consequences. They know it inside. They try to deny it, but science is not going to save the rest. You know, they're going to they're going to face that karmic debt that they've they've ran up here on this earth for sure. These elites, they actually feed off our negative energy. They feed off of it. That's why do you think they put somebody like uh, Joe Biden in office? The guy is completely incompetent. It's so obvious that he's incompetent. Just He can't even speak. It's funny, but my wife uh, showed me something from Instagram. And it was a bowl of alphabet soup. And it said, uh, you know, here's a quote from Joe Biden. And then it showed a picture of alphabet soup. It took me a second to get it. But they do that for a reason. And... The screen, what the screen is presenting to us is something that is going to throw us into a state of confusion and a state of detachment and a state of wonder, like, what the hell, how is this guy going to be? And I'm not a pro-Trump guy, rah, rah, rah. I'm, I don't pick a party. You know, like Bill Hicks said, there's only two parties and they're both controlled by the same puppet strings, you know? They, they really want to drive us nuts, man, with everything that they're doing. And it's actually coming out in the open right now where you can literally see. And I'm telling you, he's, that's really the metaphor, the allegory of it all. Is if take, just take a look at Joe Biden. You know, what he, when he uh, comes on the Super Bowl, his wife is doing all the speaking for him because he can't. And, he, and he's our president? Really? I mean, I think we can do a little bit better than that. But it's all aimed at getting us angry and feeding off of that energy so that we feel hopeless. Why? Because we're looking for the solutions outside of ourselves. And that's that's not really the direction, man. That's something that they have control over. Stoicism dictates focus on the things that you have control over and don't waste energy on the things that you can't. A lot of people, they just sit here, oh, Joe Biden and all this and all the masks and all that, which is really horrific. I, I agree with that. 
but don't obsess over it because again it's pulling your attention away uh from where you it's breadcrumbs these are all breadcrumbs that the that they're putting out for you to follow so you end up chasing your tail like a dog chasing his tail or like the ouroboros with the end result of you back to where you started from scratching your head paying your taxes and running on that hamster wheel the screen provides to us this illusionary presentation in layers and in the beginning you can only perceive or see the top layer and you won't be able to see layer two three four five it's just endless layers but you will not be able to see any of the layers you'll only be able to see the top layer that the screen is presenting to you until you're able to figure out the illusion of that first layer top layer and then you'll be able to see the second layer and the third layer but there's no way that you're going to go from layer one to layer five without going to layer two three and four right this is this is the presentation that the screen is putting out there for us and that's why again it's like chasing your own tail because you by the time you put out this one little fire or panic you know there's another one popping up on the other side and now you're worried about the mass and you're worried about the president and you're worried about the price of bread and it's never-ending, man. And it's layer upon layer upon layer. Layers of reality. As Carlos Castaneda would say, perceiving the layers of reality. So at layer one of this illusionary presentation brought to us by the screen is CNN, Fox News, Wolf Blitzer, The War Room, Rachel Maddow Show, Don Lemonhead on CNN, who hates everybody, hates himself, I'm sure, the NBA, the NFL, the NHL, MMA, all that stuff. Even the MMA, I used to watch that, but the, the, those fights are all fixed. And one of the reasons why I like the, the UFC and such is because um, the realness of it. And, and I do believe a while back it was, it was real, but I don't know, a few years back it just became when, when Conor McGregor knocked out, and I got in against McGregor, I did an episode on it, but when he knocked out Jose Aldo, the, just the way it went down, if you check it on YouTube, you'll see it. But that, even that was fixed. And this is the top layer of, of the screen presentation. You need to be able to get past CNN and Fox News in order to see all subsequent layers. These often fall under the category of like conspiracies where, where people, they're in that sheep level, but they're beginning to question different things and they want to get out of it. So the first step that they take, they'll, they'll see a little tidbit of information here, a little tidbit of information there. And again, they're left just to question everything because they, their soul is not fed and they're not edified. They, they're not getting any truth. You know, they're thirsty for truth. And they're scratching their head and they're in a state of suffering. And here's a classic example of that top layer uh, that the screen is presenting to us. And it's the Big Bang Theory. What the Big Bang Theory states is that the beginning of our whole existence the beginning of everything in the beginning there was nothing everything was just a void or a vacuum which if you do your research in nature nature abhors a void or a vacuum it does not exist in nature it just doesn't so what what the screen is presenting to us is in the beginning there was nothing and that all of matter and this whole universe was condensed and compressed down to a single point the size of an atom and as a result whatever took place or whatever happened this atom exploded and it formed the universe are, are you kidding me i mean the first law of thermodynamics states that you cannot get something from nothing you'd have to be really stupid to believe that 
the whole un not galaxy, but the whole universe, everything in existence, universes, Alpha Centauri, all that, all of that matter was compressed down to uh, a point that's to the size of an atom. You, you must think we're stupid. And the rationale or the logic or the theory that they have to support this this claim is that as of right now, the universe is expanding and is continuing to expand. So is uh, the popcorn that I put in the microwave. It's expanding. I'm getting ready to finish it off in a minute. They must, they must think people are stupid. But this is the job of the screen. Again, breadcrumbs to take you away from the truth and take you away from realizing who you actually are and what you have within you innately. They'll do anything possible to get you away from that and to keep you on that wheel running and focusing and paying attention to them. Running on that hamster wheel, just being good cattle on the farm. Be a good little boy. And don't question anything because if, if you do question anything, you're, you're a kook. They'll say, what are you, crazy? This is the, the presentation from the screen. I gotta, I gotta do what they say. I gotta get that plastic carrot. I gotta get that iPhone 12. So it goes kind of like this. You know, you have a, a, a little kid and his dad and they're watching television. And the kid, you know, he's five years old. He has a bunch of questions. And he says, Dad, where do we come from? Where does the universe come from? Well, son, you know, the universe all comes from the Big Bang. And he goes, what's the Big Bang? Because, well, you know, at one point in time, there was nothing, and then there was an atom, and it exploded, and it created the whole universe. And then the kid is going to sit back and look at his dad and say, this guy must be crazy. What the hell is he talking about? <laughs> Everything came from... And that doesn't even make sense to anybody. Then the kid says, Daddy, who's God? And the dad looks down at son and goes, well, God is Jeff Bezos. But don't worry, son, you'll learn well when you go through 12 years of... Uh, brainwash, indoctrination, demoralization, school, and one day you'll end up working for your God, which is Jeff Bezos. And I say your God because you damn sure you're my God. Now, as far as uh, this talk today, I can only give you the building blocks, the mechanics, the blueprints of how the system works because it requires pattern recognition and abstract thinking outside of the box and looking within yourself. In addition, if you want to go deeper into understanding this cattle matrix, you need to have the ability to hold two opposing concepts simultaneously in your mind without conflicting the two. I'll say that again. To, under to really comprehend this, or the real meaning of life, you need to be able to hold two opposing views simultaneously at the same time. Like, in other words, that wall is green, that wall is red. You need to be able to hold... Metaphorically, you need to be able to hold on to those two concepts in your head simultaneously without getting conflicted over it. By doing that, your mind is wide open for what is out there so that you can assimilate all of these different things. You know, it's kind of like the whole metaphor that um, sometimes the, the, not sometimes, but most of the time, the solution to a problem is c contained within the problem itself. And I use the metaphor of a locked cylinder. You have a, a cylinder on a door, and you put the key in, you turn it, and, the, and it unlocks the cylinder. The door opens up. But within the cylinder is an image of the key, right? Which is the problem and the solution. The problem is the cylinder, and the solution is the key to open it. But within the problem, which is the cylinder, is the image of the key which opens it which is kind of like why you need to be able to hold two opposing views because 
one view opposing the other view, if managed properly, can give you the 100 exact percent solution that you need, the actual true solution to that whatever issue you're looking at or problem you're looking at, present that the screen is presenting to you. Some of the people that I recommend you listen to on YouTube, or well, these are pretty much all YouTube, are people like Alan Watts, Terence McKenna, Frederick Nietzsche, Carl Jung, uh, Jesus. And I suggest getting a red letter edition of the Bible. And in the New Testament, all of the words you see in red letter is, are Jesus's words directly. So that I highly recommend. Uh, reading the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, the Tao Te Ching, Book of Five Rings. Also very interesting, uh, and I've listened to him since I was a teenager. And his name is A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Brahmapad. And he's the guy that started the Hare Krishnas. Now, I'm going to kind of reserve some of my opinions on some of the Hare Krishna movement stuff because, like in all things in all religions, you get some people that give it a black eye and use it for their own benefit and their own gain. A lot of these guru-type people. And, you know, you see that. I think the guy that started um, that hot yoga practice, I think he was, like, you know, abusing some of his students and just doing some real criminal disgusting type stuff so you have to be careful with some of these guru types that know everything but when i listen to to, to ac bhaktivedanta brahmapad and the recordings are usually pretty bad because they're from the 60s and the early 60s but the dude nails it man like he 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 has a true understanding of it and they have a lot of books out there also like when you see these Hare krishna uh representatives or people practicing it you know they're selling books a lot of times i'll even give it to you but it's nice to give them a little donation you know, again, proceed with caution because a lot of times they try to bring you, in, bring, bring you into their presentation, you know, like their, their own screen's presentation, but keep your own presentation because anything external is has to be scrutinized very, very carefully. Now I want to move on to another topic, which is, is me acknowledging Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. They're under, the, many people are, they get turned off to that because they're under the impression that if they're sitting home and let's say they decide to either follow Jesus or one of the main religions on uh, in the world <clears throat> that they'll start following, let's say, Jesus and they'll be on Instagram and something pops up and they'll watch a few twerking videos and they feel that uh, now that they've done that, they're going to burn eternally in hell and, you know, brimstone and all that stuff. And there's nothing can be further from the truth because the first thing that you have to understand, and I'll be specific with Christianity and Jesus is this. Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth and he died for our sins. He shed his blood for our sins. That's why he's the lamb of God. Because back in those days, you used to have a sacrifice in order, like a lamb or a chicken or a pigeon or whatever for your sins, an atonement to God. But Jesus is the lamb of God. And they feel that, you know, if, if they stray off, if let's say they smoke a joint or... And I don't want people to relapse. I know a lot of people that are recovering, they listen to this podcast. So I don't want to throw you guys into a bad loop over there. But if they do the slightest little thing, if they, uh, you know, curse or get angry or have an argument or whatever, whatever it might be, that they're going to burn eternally hung. Again, nothing is further from the truth because of the fact that God is a loving God and and it's basically that simple. I mean, the thing is, you just want to be moving forward every day. There's going to be times that you slide back or you do something wrong or there's people that, you know, they run into bad situations and, you know, it's rough. But 
the devil wants you to say that, you know what, uh, Jesus did not die for my sins and such. So, you know what, why bother following him and everything like that? But nothing is further from the truth. He's a loving God. And something that, you know, you don't have to throw the whole armor of God and do all that, you know, Bible thumping. Just look into it, read his words and see what he's about, you know. You know, people follow him to varying degrees, but it's very important. It's it's another thing that's really funny is, again, I come from, you know, Puerto Rico, from Brooklyn. And in my culture, we have this thing that's called Santeria, or as you guys say, Santeria, which gets real creepy because it's Satanism. And then you'll have a person and they'll say, oh, I'm afraid because this one me tiró un trabajo. You know, she did something to me. And, you know, the, the, you know, does the table have three legs or four legs? You know, all this craziness. And the fear is that they, ha they think that this person has power over them. Well, you know what? If you're in that realm, then they do because you guys are representing each other. And you've decided that you have the capability to defend yourself against all of these dark powers because they do exist. Okay. Now, the minute they're in that situation, they basically kind of lose their minds and they go to the botanica and they start buying chicken feed and stuff, and which they don't need any of that. They need the blood of Jesus Christ. He's more powerful than anything, okay? Period. I'm going to leave it just like that. And in the end times, I do believe that we're in the end times right now. You need to take a close look at that, okay? And understand it. It's, it's so funny that... These, these people today, they'll, they'll play around with Ouija boards and Wicca and all these different kind of things like that and astrology and tarot cards, not in Aleister Crowley and all those kind of teachings and Madame Blavatsky. And even to some degree that hermeticism, you know, that hermeticism in the beginning, it's really, really interesting and everything and some of the principles are really sound. But as you take one step further into it, it's basically demonic, you know. They have that goat thing, I forget, Baphomet, I guess it is. It's a male and a female and has horns and crazy shit, you know. But back to my point, they, the people, you know, they, they're going to try to defend themselves and everything like that. And what God ends up doing is he looks and says, oh, so you know how to handle, uh, how to fight these dark powers and these dark forces and you're able to do something against this? You know what? You're on your own. Go go play with your, with your uh, Ouija board and go do, do what you got to do. And inevitably... Talk to some of these people that really follow that stuff and see how they're really living and how their life is. And it's just a total case of solipsism or love of self and only self and a total disconnection from the Supreme God. And you know, if you're Muslim, if you're Jewish or whatever faith you follow, follow it, look into it, have a good understanding of it because religion, actually I shouldn't use the word religion because the word, the etymology of the word religion means to tie or bind up. To control. So I don't believe in religion. I believe in God. And I have my direct one-on-one -on -one relationship with the divine, with God. Look into it, man. Look into it and, and, and see if it has a really good impact on your life, you know. And I'll put it in another way. A couple of years back, actually many years back, I was waking up in the morning, <clears throat> woke up in the morning, and I'm listening, and I could hear a bird singing, but I said to myself, wait a minute. How many birds are out there? Because, you know, each bird have, has their own distinct song that they sing and they chirp with the, their little melodies that they do. It's beautiful in rhythm and everything. And I said to myself, well, wait a minute, I, I, I'm hearing like eight different kind of songs, different birds. And I go out and it's what they call a mockingbird. And he's out there and it, it just blew me away how beautiful the sun was. And I said to myself, you know, that... 
doesn't come from a primordial soup and that doesn't come from non-intelligence or randomness. That's divine intelligence. Beautiful, beautiful. I hope and pray that nobody ever goes through what I went through because I have never told anyone what really happened and what it was like for me. It was really bad, really, really bad. And I think it was an incredible gift of love that God gave me to do that. My faith was materialism. What I believed in all of my PhD friends and all of my friends believed that if you can't measure it, see it, weigh it, count it, it simply doesn't exist. So when I was dying, people asked me if I prayed and it's like, I'm trying to explain to you like the last thing in the world I would have done was pray. I would have, I would have sooner jumped off the Eiffel Tower than pray. What, what an absolutely silly notion. I asked for morphine. I asked for a doctor because the pain of the uh, hole in my duodenum, which was leaking hydrochloric acid and other delightful digestive juices, I was dissolving myself. I was digesting myself on the inside. And if you want to know what that feels like, get a red hot coal out of a fire and stick it inside your gut. I'd seen two doctors in emergency, and they were very nice, but they didn't do anything. They just sent me over to surgery. They told me I had an hour to live. That's what they told me. And that I would be having surgery right away. So they sent me to surgery, and unbeknownst to them, I'm sure there wasn't anybody to do the surgery. So that's why I didn't get any meds. You know, people tell me, well, the reason why you had your near-death experience was because of all the narcotics you've been given. And like, I begged for anything and I was given nothing for 10 hours. Nothing. What, what about nothing, don't you understand? When the nurse came in and said that they were unable to locate a doctor, that's when I told my wife, I said, tell my parents that I love them. And I said, goodbye, tell my kids. And she was crying like I'd never, I'd actually never seen anybody in my life cry like that. I mean, she was crying from the, the soles of her feet all the way up and just shaking and throbbing. And, and she sat down and I looked at her and I said, time for me to go. So I checked out, you know, really, really easy. I'm, you know, I, I found it the easiest thing in the world to die. I was having a lot of trouble breathing. For the last several hours, all I was doing was trying to breathe. I had enough sense to know that if you stop breathing, that would be a bad thing. I just, all I had to do was just stop doing that and I went unconscious. I woke, I was standing there, I felt absolutely physically more real, more alive, and completely healed than I'd ever known. So the first thing I did was I did a reality check, which consisted of taking my hands and I felt myself from the top of my head, felt myself all the way down, right down to my feet. And it's like, Feeling good. Matter of fact, feeling really good. 
so then I started to do a sensory check. I know it sounds very rational, but that's I was a very rational person. I can hear the hum of the fluorescent lights in the ceiling, hear them humming really loudly. And then I looked and I realized that in, in our, you know, I was an art teacher. So like in our vision, we see 180 degrees with two, if you have two eyes. Well, I was seeing way more than 180 degrees. And I'm going, ooh, that's so weird. And then also, then I checked my depth of field, which is, you know, like if you focus on something far, your near is out of focus and vice versa. I was going like, I have complete depth of field. I mean, I, I am focused on everything. And then I'm like, touch. And like, I'd already touched my body and it's like, whoa, whoa, like really, you know, very sensitive. And then I like, so I'm doing the bottoms of my feet and like I could read the texture of linoleum with through my feet and I'm going like, wow, this linoleum's like so cool. So I'm looking around the room and my wife's on the other side of the bed and then I notice in the bed, mostly covered by a sheet, but the head not completely covered was a person. And I looked at the person who was facing my wife away from me. And to my horror, it bore a remarkable resemblance to me. Now I knew rationally that that wasn't me because I was standing there and like, you can't rational people know you can't bifurcate, you know, I mean, that's crazy stuff. That's schizophrenia to say that like you were standing over yourself, looking at yourself, right? Like, I'm not crazy. I'm not nuts. That's not me. So then I'm thinking, how come it looks so much like me? Because could it be a coincidence? No, that that's ridiculous. So I'm trying to think of a scenario. So what I came up with, which I realized was absolutely ludicrous, was is that the um, French hospital personnel had uh, made a wax replica of me. I realized one, they didn't have the time to do that. And that's like, takes a lot of skill because it was a very good replica. And three, like what would be their motive? You know, <laughs> I mean, why would they go to all that trouble and expense? Um, yeah, I mean, looking back was funny at the time. It was very disturbing. So it made me angry. I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm going towards anger. And then I tried to communicate with my wife, her head down and tears running down her cheeks. And I get no response. And it was like infuriating. One of her techniques to punish me when we were not getting along was to ignore me. So I'm figuring she's really, really mad at me for what I have done to her and ruined her life. And so I turned to my roommate, Monsieur Florent, who was a 68 year old, super kind, sweet, sick Frenchman. I tried to talk to him. He looked through me like he couldn't see me, which of course he couldn't. I started yelling and screaming at him and no response. And now I'm really agitated, very, very agitated. Yeah, so I heard people outside the room calling me by name, which I thought was strange because I was in France and um, surprisingly the people in France speak French and Howard is not a French name. They're speaking English, Howard, you know, come with us. So went over the doorway of the room and uh, there were people out in the hallway and the hallway was gray. I'm like a really, really bad black and white TV picture, very fuzzy, which was weird because the room was so ultra clear. 
and the hallway was very indistinct. And there was these people out there in the same common. I said, are you from the doctor? I'm sick. I'm supposed to have surgery. I've been waiting like, you know, all day. And, and they said, we know all about you. Um, we've been waiting for you. Hurry up and come with us. So after some convincing, I became sure that they were hospital people to take me to surgery. And considering the treatment that I'd had in this hospital up to this point, the fact that they wanted to walk me to surgery made perfect sense. I mean, I never questioned that. And so we went on a long journey. Hell is um, separation from God. And the only thing that makes hell bad is um, the people there. God doesn't make hell bad. If they were nicer to each other, it'd be a lot more pleasant down there than it is. In their separation from God, it also means all the good things that God gives us, like um, there's no birds or butterflies or flowers or sunshine or rain or wind. There's no candy. There's no chocolate cake. There's no ice cream. It's pretty bleak. What psychologists have found when they cage a bunch of animals in a cage for a period of time, they start gnawing on each other because that's the only gratification they get. In prison movies, there's a concept of the new fish. When a, you know, when a new inmate comes into the prison, like everybody's excited because they want to initiate them, which usually means um, brutal rape and other things, right? So I was new fish. So hundreds of them had their way with me. The physical part is awful. But the emotional part is much worse than the physical part. You know, I, you know, when it was happening and after it happened, it's like, how could they want to hurt me that much? Why do they hate me that much? You know what I mean? That's, that's the part I couldn't, I, and I, and, and I, and I can't understand because you know what? I, I know why now because they don't care. They, they, weren't, they weren't doing it to me personally. It was just, I was new fish. And when they were done with me, um, by being done with me, it's like I was no longer responsive, physically and emotionally uh, too far gone. You know, the term that I like to describe was I was roadkill. In that place, I heard a voice that said, pray to God. I literally heard, I mean, I literally heard a voice say, pray to God. I don't know who said that. I don't know where it came from. It kind of felt like it was like here coming out of my chest. And I thought, what a stupid idea. I don't believe in God. I don't pray. And the voice said, pray to God. And I thought, I don't know how to pray. I haven't prayed since I was a kid. You know, it's like, I don't pray. I'm not a prayer. Forget it. And the voice said, pray to God. Real strong. And I thought, okay, what would it look like for me to pray? And so I'm thinking, okay, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States. From, oh, no, no, no. Four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth in this continent a new nation. No, 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 no. Oh, man, I can't think, you know, like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm remembering things I've memorized because, of course, from my perspective, 38-year-old 30 genius college professor, department head, I thought prayer was something you memorized when you were a child. So I'm trying to remember, and like I finally come up with the, I come up with like the Lord is my shepherd, <gasps> and I'm so excited. I murmured it. I, I mean, I wasn't. I murmured it out of excitement that I actually remembered something that sounded like a prayer. 
And upon doing that, the people that were still around me, which they were no longer um, interacting with me because I had become tedious and uninteresting. They became very angry. And they said to me in language, that's the worst language I've ever heard in my life. There is no God, nobody can hear you. And now we're gonna really, really hurt you. Like basically telling me what we did before was nothing compared to what we're gonna do to you now. Because they couldn't bear like my most miserable, pathetic little prayer. And then I thought of some other things like our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I mean, I was only, I was only remembering like phrases. I couldn't remember like a whole verse. I'm saying this stuff and it's really making them angry. And the thing that I liked was um, all this time I'd been defenseless is no matter how hard I had fought to fend them off me, finally I find something they really don't like. And the other thing I noticed that the more I said these things and I was shouting them, I was shouting them in anger. The more I said these things, the more it drove them away. And I could, I could, <clears throat> we're in peach black, so I can't see anything, but I can, I can hear them retreating and retreating and retreating. So like, yippee, one, yippee, skippy. I'm like, I'm, I'm really making them mad and I'm driving them away. So I'm like letting them have it with this stuff. And I'm just repeating this stuff over and over again. And eventually I realized the only thing I can hear anymore is me and I can't hear them. So like I become quiet and I listen and I listen carefully. And I know some some place somewhere they're out there, but I don't know where, you know. But they're far, and that's good. And then I um, think about my situation and realize I'm stuck because I can't crawl, I can't move, I can't go anywhere, and I don't know where I am. I mean, I didn't have to debate this. I knew that um, I was not alive and I was not in the world. Where I grew up in Massachusetts, we had septic systems and cesspools. So what I came up with is that I had gone down the toilet and through the plumbing into the cesspool. And I don't know if how into cesspool um, theology you are, but there's some um, layers in the cesspool. Like at the top is floating the unprocessed stuff, and the deeper you go, the more it gets processed, and then it all becomes liquefied. And eventually then goes out into the leaching but that's what I, I i was trying to think of what part of the septic system i was in i knew i knew that my life was filth garbage i knew that i was a selfish ass i knew that i mean in the world i never would have admitted that to you if you if, if you and i met if you'd met me as uh, howard storm professor howard storm you know at northern university get you to admire me and be a fan, you know? All, all, as you, all as you would be to me is someone to support my ego. I, I did my own life review and what I concluded was that, I know this sounds funny, but I graded myself after I went through my life and I realized that I was basically um, F and Ds in every department. My relationship with my father, my mother, my sisters, my students, my friends, my wife, my kids. I just gave myself F and D's up and down the line because all I could see was all the ways that I had failed. And I felt real, real bad. I realized that I, I belonged in the place that I was and that I was stuck there and nothing was ever going to change it. And that the only way that I could um, have any kind of an existence in that place was to somehow pull myself together and to become more vicious than they were. In other words, before you got a chance 
to bite me in the neck, I'll rip your head off. That would be our greeting. You know, you go for my neck and I rip your head off. And I thought, I'd rather not exist than live like that. Because I, I'd rather not be than be one of them. So now I'm in a dilemma because here I am, there's no way out. I have no way, no way of knowing how yet they're going to come back. And I can't, I can't count on this, this prayer bit, which was quite insincere. You know, I mean, it wasn't from my heart. It was just like, it worked. It was, but I mean, how, how much, how long is that going to work for me? You know? And I went into the deepest, deepest despair. I mean, here I am in the cesspool, and now I'm, I mean, emotionally, spiritually sinking into a deeper hole. My little mind's working, 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 trying to come up with something. It comes up with like an eight or nine-year-old child sitting in Sunday school singing, Jesus Loves Me. It wasn't the idea. The, the words were good, but it wasn't the words. It was like, when I was a little kid, I believed in like this God slash Superman and when, you know, the alligators and bears that live under your bed that are trying to bite your toes, remember them? When they would start snapping at my toes at night, you know, in the middle of the night, I would pray to Jesus and they would go away. And then, the, and then of course, I'm having voices in my head saying, you don't believe this silly stuff, you know, like that, you know, you were a child, you're an idiot. You know, it's not true. And then the other voices were saying, why would he care about you? You've done nothing but use his name as a cuss word for the past 20 years, you know, like, you know, he's not going to listen to you. Even if he did exist, he hates your guts. You know, I mean, I get so I'm mean, having all this stuff going on. And then, like, finally, I'm, like, screaming in my head, like, stop it, stop it, stop it. And I just yell out into the darkness, pure desperation, Jesus, please save me. Without the faintest idea whether there was a Jesus or not a Jesus or whether he liked me or didn't like me or, you know, I mean, I had, I had nothing except this faint hope that it might be true. This impossibly bright light like if it was actually light light it would have it would have burned me i was like you know so overwhelmed by the brightness of the light and its beauty and then like i looked down at myself and i saw gore and i was like ew i had been eviscerated okay um not pretty and out of this light came hands and arms and he touched me and when he touched me three things happened one is all the gore just started to disappear and i became whole the other thing that happened was I was filled with ecstasy instead of being um, simply just nothing but pain from head to foot. Now all of a sudden that the pain goes away and I'm filled with ecstasy. And lastly, and most importantly, um, I experienced a love that I had never known that existed. And unfortunately, I haven't found any language yet that can begin to describe it. He picked me up. He held me real tight. Thing when he held me, I knew that there was some besides all this healing and love and all that, that he really, really liked me a lot. Matter of fact, I'm his favorite person in the whole universe. I have to add, unfortunately, you are too. And and he likes me. I mean, he doesn't dislike me. He's not he's not, you know, he's not mad at me. You know, he's happy. So I'm holding on to Jesus. I'm crying, happy cry. And he's um, rubbing my back. 
He gave me a nice, very soft, tender back rub, and we take off. Just like flying in a helicopter, except it was just Jesus and me without the helicopter. All I'm aware of, because like I've got my face buried in his chest and neck, was we're going. We're really going. And actually, I'm a, I'm a little bit scared, because I'm actually thinking, so I hope he doesn't let go of me. <laughs> So we're moving, and um, I'm trying to get my act together because I'm feeling, I, I've put a lot of slobber on him from my nose and mouth, a lot, a lot of slobber. And I'm feeling bad about that because I don't have a hanky to clean him up. <laughs> and, um, uh, okay, so I'm trying to get together. So I get enough together, and I, and I look, and I see, like, we're moving towards a world of light and all around the world of light, like a bazillion little lights going in and coming out, and there's all this activity. And I had this gigantic, uh-oh, the God that I said wasn't, we're going to his house. We're going into his territory. I mean, I know that. I just know that somewhere in that big galaxy of light, if you will, there's God in that, and we're headed towards it, and I am the biggest idiot in the whole world. And they probably hate me, you know, because of what I've said and done. I think to myself, he's made a terrible mistake. I don't belong here. And with that, eek, we come to a, a stop and we are outside of the world of light, which we could call heaven because that's what it was. I call it home. He spoke to me for the first time telepathically and he said, we don't make mistakes, you belong here. And I thought, how do you know what I thought? I didn't say that. Can you hear what I think? And he laughed and he said, I know everything you've ever thought. And I thought, I feel real uncomfortable with you knowing everything I've ever thought because I've thought things that I don't want you to know that I thought. And immediately I thought of something that I didn't want him to know that I thought about, which is I thought of a breast. I've always, I've always been a boob guy. And you know what he did? He laughed and laughed and laughed. He thought it was really funny. And I thought, oh, he thinks I'm funny. And he said, yeah, you're real funny. And I was like, he thinks I'm funny because nobody thinks I'm funny. I mean, like, I have a wicked sense of humor, but it's like, it's New England. It's very dry. You know, I make like a lot of jokes and people look at me like, what's your problem? So, like, we started talking, and he kind of interrupted our conversation, which is all telepathically. Um, he had a, a young male voice. He said, I got a bunch of people I want you to meet. And so he called out with tone, musical tone. And they came, and there was a group of them, and they formed a survey circle around us. And he said, they've recorded your life, and they want to show you your life. So we pr proceeded to watch my life, and that was a, what I would refer to as a holographic projection of me interacting with people. And the interesting thing was that there were props, but usually not a background, only when the background was appropriate. We got tables and chairs and a floor, and the rest just isn't there at all. We'd go into a scene and like see what happened to the person after, we, what happened to them after we'd interacted or what they were feeling, would feel what they were feeling I was more manipulative and detached from people and Jesus and the angels clearly shared their 
um, unhappiness with the direction I was going. Not in a cruel way, just like, ooh, it's really disappointing. And I felt their feelings and I felt bad that I was so such a disappointment. They weren't angry, they weren't mad, they were just disappointed. What I ultimately learned from the whole thing was that we were created to love one another. That's our job, that's the curriculum, that's the whole, the whole thing in a nutshell, and that's the only thing that matters. And what I was doing was moving away from that. I mean, I had a career, I had a wife, I had kids, I had a house, I had cars, you know, blah, blah, blah. I had all that. I had the American dream, and I was going somewhere, and I won prizes at art shows. And I got tenure, and I was a full professor, and I, you know, blah, blah, blah. And none of that mattered. And they let me know that none of that mattered at all. Matter of fact, it was, a, it was very surprising just for me, because I'd say, look! Look here, I got, you know, I'm a full professor. I'm 26 years old, full professor. Never, nobody gets that, you know? I'm like, yeah, well, that was of no consequence at all. Look, look here where you ignored a student who really, really needed a friend. And then they would feel so sad for that student. And, it's good. and as the life review went on into my adult life, I was begging them to stop it. I'm like, I got it. No, 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 no. And they'd say, no, you got to watch. So we went through the whole thing. It was um, brutal. And I made them very disappointed and very sad. But I got the point. It was real simple. We were here. We were supposed to love each other. And I completely missed it. I thought my life was about being the most famous, wealthiest, important, powerful person that I could possibly be. I mean, I wanted it all. When we were over with that whole thing, um, he said, do you have any questions? And I said, yeah, I got a million questions. So I asked him everything I could think of to answer. And he answered everything. I've never told anybody everything because some of it gets like a little esoteric. And, um, you know, I've gotten in trouble for stuff. I mean, I mean, I've had people tell me that I'm the devil and I'm an apostasy and I'm, um, when I've had been accused of things, I'm just like real simple stuff. Like for example, I mean, I'll give you an example of like, um, when babies are either aborted or stillborn or dying when they're very young, um, they just get another chance at life. And, and people have been furious with me and call me all kinds of names because Jesus told me that. And it's like, I'm sorry if you don't like Jesus plan that. No, he doesn't throw babies into hell. He not only told me, but he showed me and we visited some places that the universe is full of um, intelligent beings and uh, varied life forms. And that, in fact, this world is one of the lowest of them all. There's a lot more spiritual, kind, good, loving, and intelligent beings all over the universe. I asked Jesus, and so what happens to people when they die? And he said, and he said, it's a really big problem because um, he said, usually when people die, they don't know they've died because like when they were dying, they were in suffering. And when they die, the suffering's over. And so they feel really good. So they think they've gotten well and they don't know that they've died at all. It's funny because people are terrified of dying. It's like, no, dying is really great when you're not doing well, you know, ran out of stuff to say. So I said, oh, okay, I want to go to heaven. And he's like, oh, uh, actually, you got to go back to the world and try and um, you know, have the life that you were created to be in the first place. So we had a huge argument. People always say, like, argument. I go, yeah, I argued with him as much as I could possibly argue. I said, why would you send me back to the world? Because it's full of cruel, mean people, and it's just terrible existence down there. And he said, the world, he said, that's true. There's lots of cruel, mean people. And he said, there's also very loving, beautiful people. 
And he said, what's in your heart is what you'll find. And if you have love in your heart, you will see the love in other people. If you have beauty in other people, you'll see the beauty in them. He said, it's what's in you is what you're going to find. And you know what? Amazingly, he was right again. I've been doing this thing for over 30 years since, well, 33 years now, since 85. And yeah, if you seek love and beauty, you find love and beauty. If you seek cruelty and ugliness, you find cruelty and ugliness. But I'm telling you, the, the love and the beauty is in everywhere and in everyone, including people that do not strike you immediately as either loving or beautiful. When I was recovering in what they um, called the recovery area at the hospital in Paris, the room was kind of dark. It was daytime, but the, the lights weren't on. The room lit up. And this young man, beautiful young man, in his like mid or late 20s, it appeared blonde, wearing hospital scrubs, pale green scrubs with the V-neck scrub sleeves and sneakers. He comes into the room and he goes, Howard, how are you? I'm like, whoa. Once again, perfect English. No, kind of a kind of a surprise in a French hospital. Long and short of it was, he said, I'm going to be watching over you and um, I want to assure you that everything's going to be okay, but you've got a long recovery ahead of you. Um, but I will always be around. And I said, great, great. I mean, he was so kind. And I said, so what's your name? And he said, oh, don't worry about that. He said, you will never see me again. I said, you just said you're going to watch over me and you're going to see me through this whole recovery and you would never, you'd always be around and now you're telling me I'm never going to see you again. He said, yes, that's, that's all true. He said, I'll be around, but you'll never see me again. And I said, I don't, that doesn't make any sense. You know, are you going to be with me? He said, I will be with you. Always know I will be with you. And I said, I will never see you again. He said, you'll never see me again. And I said, very, very confusing. I don't understand. He said, now I have to go. So he left. The room went, when he left the room, the room went back down to drab. And I'm sitting there like, what was that? You know, what was that all about? Crazy. Immediately, the nurse comes into the room. And I said, who, what was the name of the doctor that was just here? And she said, there, there was nobody here. And I said, no, no, no. He, like the, the young doctor with the blonde hair and, you know, and the sneakers and stuff, you know. Um, she said, there was nobody in the room. And I said, there was someone just in the room. He just left. You probably passed him coming in. And she said, my desk is right outside this door. I've been sitting at that desk for a long time. Nobody has been in this room or out of this room. And I said, no, you don't understand. There was this beautiful young man who was just here visiting me. She said, no one has been in this room. I have been right here by the door. Nobody has come in the room. And I said, well, you're wrong. And I got really upset. She got mad at me because I was arguing with her. I mean, her English wasn't that good. My, and I spoke very poor French. But anyways, we were having this argument. She's like, she just, she just gave up on me. The thing that drives me crazy is that um, it's so simple. It's so easy. 
to call out to God and have your life totally changed. And you can go from despair to joy. You can go from pain to bliss. You can find, like, all your problems aren't going to be solved immediately, but with the help of God, you will find the solutions to your problems. You know, you find you find um, a way through all the difficulties of life and find a community of support through um, faith communities. It's like, and, and, and the thing is, is that um, in, in real churches, real, real synagogues, real temples, it's all free, no cost, no obligation. I mean, because you get a bunch of people just um, living to try and be helpful and supportive to someone. If you would like to go a little bit deeper into his experience, I would highly recommend checking out his book, My Descent Into Death. There are links in the description for the Audible version and the hard copy and Kindle version. So check that out if you would like. The Joe Rogan Experience. We were talking before, there's so much to to talk about, but we were talking before and you were saying that uh, over the last year, you almost died because you had some crazy internal and uh, you had an aneurysm in your pancreas. Is that what you said it was? Yeah, I had an undiagnosed asymptomatic aneurysm, which is a sort of ballooning in the blood vessel uh, in the artery, in my pancreatic artery. And out of the blue, it was a congenital thing. Like I apparently had developed during my whole life. It um, it was just from a, a structural problem. And on uh, one afternoon, one beautiful June afternoon last year, it burst. And, um, you know, I just felt this pain shoot through my stomach. I was like, damn, what is that? And within a few minutes, I couldn't stand up. And within about 10 minutes, I was starting to go blind. And my wife called the, the ambulance. And um, those guys got there. And, and um, you know, I was tanking really fast. And the hospital is an hour away. And I, by a miracle... I don't even think the doctors understand it, but by a miracle, I was still alive when I got to the hospital. I, I lost 90% of my blood into my abdomen. Um, and um, I didn't know I was dying, but I was dying. And I was right in that sort of twilight zone. And um, the uh, a black pit opened up underneath me, and I felt myself starting to get pulled down into it. And I, I didn't want to go. Like, it was cold and dark and black and bottomless. And I just knew, like, do not go down there. I was getting pulled down into it. And right at that moment, my, my father, who passed away in 2012, um, my father sort of appeared next to me and started trying to communicate, trying to communicate with me and comforting me. And um, I, um, I sort of waved him away. And the last thing I remember saying to the doctor, I was sort of losing consciousness. And the last thing I said to the doctor was, you're losing me right now. You got to hurry. He was trying to put it, he'd cut my neck open. He was trying to put a line into my neck to, you know, they pumped 10, 10 units of blood into me and that's what brought me back. It was really close. Wow. Um, when you say you, you felt like you're, you were sinking into a pit, like, do, were you seeing this? You I, I, yeah, I, I mean, you know, your perceptions are very weird because, you know, very little oxygen in the brain. I had a hemoglobin count of 1.2. If you're a doctor, you know what that is. It's almost unheard of. And so I just felt this pit underneath me and it was pulling me into it and I didn't want to go. And you can see a pit? Yeah. I mean, again, see slash feel, your perceptions are very weird when you're like that. And then my father also was sort of floating above me. He was a presence. Um, I don't know if seeing him is quite the word. It's another perception. Wow. Yeah. So coming out of that... 
once you regained your health, you must have had an incredible newfound appreciation for all the people in your life and just everything. It was a long path. You know, I, I mean, I'm a really healthy guy. Later, the doctor said, you know, it was your, you know I was a marathon runner when I was young, and um, I don't drink. I'm, I'm athletic, and I use my body pretty vigorously. And he said, that saved your life. Like, you didn't have a heart attack. Like, you, you, you owe your life to that. And, oh, wow. But the next morning, you know, I didn't know that I'd almost died. I had no idea. I have two little girls. I have a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, and they're the most precious things to me. I, I mean, I can't even describe it, obviously. And the fact that they almost lost their dad was just devastating when the ICU nurse came in and said, how are you doing, Mr. Younger? You're one lucky guy. You almost died yesterday. I had no idea. And then she came back an hour later, and um, and, and she said, "How are you doing?" And I said, "You know, physically, I'm." And I was throwing up blood. I was, I'm not, <laughs> I was not doing very well physically, but I said I was. I said, "But you know, I'm really struggling with what you told me," and um, it's really terrifying. I didn't know, and I mean, I said I almost died in my own driveway in front of my family, and I didn't even know. Like, and I said, I keep thinking about it. I can't stop. And she said. The wisest things, one of the wisest things I've ever heard, she said, um, she said, stop thinking of that moment as scary and start thinking of it as sacred. And she didn't elaborate. She didn't need to. And the next five days in the ICU, I thought about the word sacred and what the experience was now giving me access to. And, you know, not to sound sort of like trite, but um, life is a friggin' miracle. And, you know, I'm not religious, I, you know, whatever. I, I don't think any of us, few of us, I certainly didn't quite understand um, what a miracle it is that we're alive, that we exist, that we draw breath, that we can think about ourselves, that we're here for even one day is a freaking miracle. And you can forget that because your life gets busy. And all of a sudden, I feel like life was sort of returned to me, meaning that I understood how sacred it is. Mm. And um, again, I'm an atheist. I don't mean sacred in a religious sense. I mean, in the sense that it has a profound value and you mustn't, mustn't, mustn't forget. It's so easy to lose sight of that when you're caught up in your bills or traffic or your bullshit. And yeah, there's so much, so much of life that is essential in, in, in order for you to just keep on existing in society, but not really important. Yeah. And, you know, we're humans. We're, I mean, you know, we're wired to react to things. You know, someone pisses you off or you're, you're tired. Or whatever. It's not that we shouldn't have those reactions. Th those reactions also keep us alive. I mean, right. our emotional and physical reactions are, are adaptive and they protect us. Right. But at the end of the day, you don't want them to run away with your experience of life. You want to reclaim it and just go right. You know, all I have to do is go back to that moment of what happened in that driveway and that I was spared getting pulled into that pit. That didn't happen. And my daughters get to have a father. I get to experience whatever the rest of my life is, whatever it is. Who knows how long I'll live. But I get I, I, that gift was returned to me. Um, and I don't, even know, I don't even know who to say thank you to other than I've started giving blood. Ten, ten, people, ten people donated blood and saved my life. I'll never know who they are. And that, um, you know, it makes you part of this sort of – web of life um, in a way that it's, you know, when I gave blood for the first time, you know, like after this happened, I gave blood and it made me feel so good.
Uh, and now I've, I can't wait to do it again. Like you're, I'm part of something bigger, and, and and that's one of the most profound human joys is to be part of something greater than yourself. So this this experience um, that you, how long did it take you before you were fully recovered? Well, you know, I had I had a you know gallon of blood in my abdomen, and and a gallon. Well, whatever that amount of blood in your how body, they get is, it out. Something like that. They can't. You know, it's a hematoma, and my body had to gradually reabsorb it. Whoa. Uh, so you know that takes months. And uh, and now I'm left with this sort of psychological residue of the experience, which is I have this, um, uh, I, you know, a renewed, reinvigorated appreciation for life. Um, but also the, re- the truth about life is that none of us know for sure we're going to be alive at sunset. You know, I mean, we all know you can get cancer or you can die in a car accident or whatever. But really the truth is the thing – we're, we're alive because – the tiniest membranes in your body are are, are are not rupturing. You know what I mean? Like right. the system that your body is, is like incredibly complex. And if something goes wrong, you can be dead in minutes and you can be totally healthy and that can happen. And the fact that the universe can just randomly take you out for um, no apparent reason, um, that's pretty startling news if you think about it. I didn't know it worked that way. <laughs> and it can make you kind of paranoid. Did it make you paranoid? No, totally. Yeah? yeah. I mean, I just, every day I was like, I mean, this is gradually going away, but I just, I realized like, you don't know. You just don't know that you're going to be alive in, in an hour right. from now. And you're going running, you're, you're reading a book to your daughter, you're whatever, having dinner with some friends. And, and now I, I was like, an hour from now, I could be dead or the guy I'm talking to could be dead. And none of us know, and none of us can do anything about it. And that's just what life is. We're, we're, we're living on a rock hurtling through the universe. I mean, we're, we're, we're part of the universe and we exist at its, um, at its mercy, really. Were you afterwards contemplating what that pit was and what it means and what it means to slide into that? And like, You know, I, I started to do a little research into the, the death. I want to write a book about this. I think I'm going to call it Pulse. Ooh. I like that. The thing that keeps us alive. It's a good name. And why we're alive and and what happens when you die. And I've just started doing some research into this. And and the 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 visitation by dead ancestors is very common. Oh. For people. Um and often um I mean there's all kinds of reasons that you might hallucinate when your brain's low on oxygen. But I you know I didn't hallucinate anyone in my family. I didn't hallucin- I hallucinated my dead father, right? And that's very very common and I didn't know I was dying. So it's not like I conjured him up because I knew I was headed somewhere. Uh, I was very confused, and there he was trying to comfort me. And that's a really common experience. So I looked into it. And so they have, they have all these, you know, release of ketamine and all, like, they have all these DMT. I mean, they have all these sort of neurochemical explanations for the subjective experience of dying for the person. And we only know this because people come back, like I do, and report what they saw. And it's usually pretty weird. But it's pretty weird in predictable ways. Like a lot of people see the dead. It's as if they show up to help. And I want to repeat, I'm an atheist. I'm not religious. I don't believe in anything. And my dad was a physicist. So I want to sort of explain what happens in ways that he would um, respect scientifically. And so one of the things they said is that you can take low oxygen, ketamine, all these things that physically could happen in the brain, you can, you can subject... A, a, a healthy person to those things, and they don't have the same kinds of hallucinations. Those hallucinations are particular only to the dying. And I want to know, I want to try to figure out what 
is going on in that weird twilight space.
Try to make a speed 
You ask plenty musicians. Them know it, but them can't do it. So people still searching for this truth here, which this reggae music can you now bring cross to them. And the only the only purpose it serves is to tell the people about Rastafari. Well, I've been a Rasta from ever since, you know, but it's not how long I've been a Rasta, it's how long it takes to grow up, because what he is is what he is from beginning to the end. You can never change, because if you even adapt things later out, you can filter right out. So we're just Rasta from creation, you know. One is a common sense, man. That means when me explain things, me explain it in a very simple way. That means if I explain it to a baby, the baby will understand too, you know? So we were saying now, like the Bible. The Bible says, God said, he shall return as the king of kings, the lords of lords, the conqueror line of a tribe of Judah. And he shall come in a new name. And this new name shall be dreadful among the Eden. How important are the dreadlocks? This? Is that this part is my of being identity, man. Yeah, this is my identity. I, I don't come to bow, you know. I come to conquer. I don't come to bow, I come to conquer. My home is always where I am. My home is not my head. My home is what I think about. How I try to set my mind in the thinking that I think. That is my home. My home is not a material home out somewhere out there. You know, my home in my head. Have you made a lot of money out of your music? Money. I mean, what is, how, much is, how much is a lot of money to you? Yeah, that's a good question. Have, have you made, say, millions of dollars? No. Are you a rich man? When you mean rich, what do you mean? You have a lot of possessions, a lot of money in the bank. Position make you rich? I don't, I don't have that type of richness. My richness is life forever. Thank you. 
your songs you often refer to the Bible, but many of the young people who are coming to your concert yeah. don't believe in the Bible anymore. Because the way they've been taught about the Bible, that is not the way of the Bible. You know what I mean? Because if I was living in that world, where the everyday interpretation of the Bible go on, then I would have eaten the Bible too. But now that we have found the right way of the Bible, then the Bible is to be loved because the Bible is a record of man's creation. It's the only book tell you, it's the only book can make, can show you where mankind begin without any prejudice or any, any, anything like that, any boastiness, pride or anything. It just have outdoor and that's it. Mm. Well, all the Christian people, not even the Christian, all the, all the people who go to churches, interpret the Bible and the preachers them. That is not the right way. Because the greatest thing is that life. See? It's life. Life I deal with. If the preacher read the Bible and tell you that you have to die to go to heaven, then it's not reading the Bible. Because the Bible tells you you have to live in a heaven. You don't die and go to heaven. You have to live in heaven. You know, a lot of places on earth could be. But Africa is our heaven. Because that's where we come from. You know, maybe if it's a Swiss, maybe if you're from Switzerland and the people know God, then maybe you could live in peace, unity, harmony, you know, you know. But, you know, people are stubborn and desert because of material vanity. I So nobody wants to die. So if you don't want to, be, to die, then there's something happening there. So the best man to find out from if you can live is God. Now, to find out from God, you have to find God. Now, when we search in reality, we find Haile Selassie, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Conqueror, Lion of Judah. That is our tradition. How big is the influence of the rest of the communities in Jamaican culture and politics today, and perhaps you can give some examples. Well, you know, as Rasta, we're dealing with not politics, but our own tradition from creation, from the root of mankind. So we as Rasta now, we return to our roots, which is God, 
you know. So, and as you know, politics is politics is means politics divide and rule. Politics don't show people God. Politics tell you that somebody can do something for you. You know, what we know is God I do everything. So the best man to deal with is God. When you deal with God, you don't deal with politics because politics divide. Do you have to smoke to be a raster? No, man. But in this time, I mean, like, for instance, you're reaching a sense where you're, you're strong enough, can take a little smoke. So when all them cars pass, Although you live in the city, you don't hear it because you're thinking. Differently if you just live so. Then, you know what I mean? You, the whole world confuses you and you're worried and you don't have no time to think. And herb, herb is a thing that gives you a little time for yourself so you can live if you use it. The more you accept herb, the more you accept Rastafari. You dig what I say? We who accept herb. Herb is not, herb is important, but herb is more important to the people who don't accept it yet because that is the reality. I mean, it's not Sevelin, um, um, Sevelin is something that you crave, but you check it in your sense and say, herb, herb is a plant. I mean, herbs are good for everything. Why? Why these people who want to do so much good for everyone who call themselves governments and this and that? Why them say you must not use the herb? You see? And we check that and we can't find, we just see them just say, no, you mustn't use it, you mustn't use it because it make you rebel. Against what? I don't care who the guy is. Because my right is my right, like my life. You know, all I have is my life. That means if I can say, I don't want that or I don't want this. When I check it out, the biggest man was a baby one time. So I don't know where to get all of these big ideas want to be rulers over people. See? And help enforce devilism. <laughs> Can't dig it. Can't take it. We're rebel, man. We're revolutionaries. You know? Is that the way you'd see yourself? Yeah, just myself as a revolutionary. Who don't have no help? and not take no bribe from no one to fight it single-handed with music.
Welcome to the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. I'm your host, Miguel. I like to cover topics from ancient history, great leaders and generals from the past, and I also like to talk about self-realization, truth, critical thinking, and strategic spirituality. Outside the box, nonconformist. I'm here to shatter the myths of the mainstream media and the beta sheeple narrative. My email address is alphamalebuddhist at gmail.com. My website is alphamalebuddhist.podbean.com. My Instagram is alphamalebuddhist. And check out my YouTube channel, Alpha Male Buddhist, and that's on YouTube. It is the podcast accompanied with video clips that integrate exactly with the podcast, so it's motivational and inspirational. I also have promotional t-shirts. If you go to my website, alphamalebuddhist.podbead.com, you can see the promotional t-shirts there. Reach out to me. Also, if you have any show notes or any suggestions that you would like to hear on the podcast, just reach out and see if I can get that done. I've been getting some really great emails and feedback from my listeners, which is great. So I want to thank you for listening and namaste.